I'm Chip Freud, and this is the Artist Spotlight, conversations with contemporary artists based on five simple questions that explore the artist's journey, creativity, and sources of inspiration. Welcome to another episode of the Artist Spotlight podcast. I'm Chip Freund, and today we're joined by Deborah Younglau, an acrylic artist based in Raleigh, North Carolina. Deborah, welcome to the show. Hey, Chip. Thanks so much for inviting me. I'm excited to be here, share some of my thoughts and my work. Excellent. Well, to that, you know, what's, uh, what are you currently working on? Do you have a project maybe you just wrapped up or something you're just getting into? Well, my a kind of general project for the moment is making bigger paintings. For the last several years that, that I've been working, I've been pretty small, eight by tens. You know, for me, like a 16 by 20 was big. I've been going much bigger, which is a challenge. It's, I mean, it's really been a challenge for me um, doing you know, like 30 by 40s, 30 by 72s. So that's, so my challenge is um, how to transform my technique into larger pieces because I work with um, fluid acrylics and most of my work is done while the paint is wet. So trying to get things done while things are drying or trying to figure out what I can do, even though things are drying, um, that's been, um, that's my current project. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I've started to see some of the larger pieces coming into the gallery and they're quite impressive. Yeah. And I've done some larger than that as well. So um, it's, it, it's, can be a bit nerve wracking <laughs> when I'm trying to think about getting started, but um, I'm really happy with what I've been doing. Well, very cool. Well, the uh, podcast really is all about our five questions. And the first one is, what is your earliest memory of making art of any kind? Well, I, I can't remember anything before, like about age maybe 11 or 12 in form two, or oh, sorry, that that's British nomenclature. I was born and grew up in, um, in Trinidad, so we have the British system. So form two, I think, would be about fifth grade-ish, something around there. And um, we did, um, in our class, I remember doing graphite paintings of models. It would be classmates who would stand in front of the class and we would draw them and, you know, do the shading and everything and watercolor landscapes and things like that. And I found that I was pretty good at it. I was so thrilled when uh, several weeks, my art homework would get put up on the bulletin board in front of the classroom. And I, I loved it. And I, and I think for an 11 or 12 year old, I was, you know, I was really all right. In, in those days, you're thinking about doing art as something I would do when I, you know, grew up, wasn't even on the radar. So I did it in, in school and then on my own as well. So that, that was, and that's my first memory of it. Okay, okay. So you, you mentioned at the opening that you're doing liquid acrylics as your medium today. What brought you to that medium and what is it you like about it? Well, it's, it's kind of a convoluted long story, but I'll try and just stick to the highlights. You can tell me if I'm rambling on too much. <laughs> but um, as I said before, um, art wasn't something that I would have thought about doing in the future. So I, I, I always love nature and especially anything water or ocean related. So I did um, a bachelor's in science and a master's in marine biology. But I found that maybe about halfway through my doing my master's, I found that I just, I didn't have the passion that I figured that I needed to do this. And I didn't realize that I didn't have that passion till I saw others with it. And I just couldn't drum it up. But um, in, in between or meanwhile, doing 
um, my science stuff, I was still doing creative things. I was actually designing and making clothes for myself and my friends. So I, you know, I fashion design was my creative outlet at, at that point. And um, when I finished my master's, I, um, I followed my, my then boyfriend, now husband, Ron, who went to um, vet school in Tuskegee University, Alabama. I followed him up there and joined their fashion design program. And um, I did get my fashion design degree and worked in that industry for a while, but still on the side, well, actually, I'll back up a bit. I did a, one of my classes that I did was um, in, introduced me to batik on fabric, which is working with dyes on fabric. And I fell in love with the concept of colors just moving across the surface and having a mind of their own and, and blending and doing all the interest, um, creating patterns and things like that. So I was kind of teaching myself that on the side while doing my fashion design. But um, career-wise, the fashion design segued into painting my own designs on ready-made clothing, which I did for several years, while in the background learning my silk painting, which I eventually got into full-time. And with the silk, I did um, both wearable art and wall art, um, which I did for about two decades selling my work at um, arts and crafts fairs, just like I am still doing now. But in about, I think it was about 2014 or so, um, I love what I was doing, don't get me wrong, but I got the, it's time to move on and do something new, itch. Um, I had um, branched out also into wet felting, which is another fiber art form, doing wearable art with that and loving, again, the creation of, interesting textures and patterns that I couldn't quite predict. Um, but it still wasn't calming my itch <laughs> enough. I, I, I think I, I knew that I wanted to paint with paint on a hard surface, which, is, which would be completely different you know, to painting on fabric or doing anything with fabric, obviously. Um, but I didn't quite know what I wanted to do. I would spend hours just scrolling through. I, I would just Google you know, paintings scroll through, scroll through, scroll through, just see what inspired me. And inevitably what made me stop scrolling was something abstract. Now, I didn't have a clue how to do abstract painting. You know, people think abstract is so easy, but it really isn't if you think in pictures like I do. Because when I was doing my silk painting um, for, my, for the frame art, it was always representational. You know, it was a picture, I think in pictures. But I, but I knew, but, but I was always blown away by abstract art. I just didn't have a clue how to do it. I figured I got to teach myself, which, which I kind of did. Um, I, I discovered the, I eventually discovered the fluid acrylics. Again, was, you know, captivated by color moving and creating textures of its own accord and um, forming nuances of color that, that, you know, I have control over some of it but not all of it. And um, that is what made me fall in love with, um, with fluid acrylics. And um, that's what I've been doing for, I think, I think I, I would say I officially transitioned from fiber art to the acrylic painting sometime around 2016 or, or, or 17. And that is what I've been doing um, since. Every, <laughs> every piece is an experiment. I never, I still, I'm not quite sure why I like this uncertainty thing, but I tend to be drawn to things that I don't know what they're going to look like exactly when, when they're done. <laughs>
Um, but I, I seem to be drawn to that. Very cool. Which sort of leads into our next question, which is what inspires your art? Where does it come from? Well, I think still going back to my love of nature and water and particularly the ocean, um, it, I, I, I do several, I do some paintings that I would call my beachy paintings that kind of look like um, aerial views of, of, of the beach. And um, you see my, um, in the colors, the, the, the brilliant aquamarine colors of my native Caribbean sea always uh, are very evident in any of my sort of watery paintings. And, um, and in my other paintings where I use color, it's that, I guess it's that, that brilliant tropical color, um, you know, the, the tropical vegetation and flowers that we have that I grew up with there. I'm not trying to make anything look like anything, but but those sort of colors and, and forms are, are in, 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 the, in the back of my mind. And interestingly, when I, so when I've done a, an, an abs, one of my paintings, which, which uh, you know, it's not, it, like I said, I'm not trying to make it look like anything, but I always see either flowers or leaves or something nature where somebody else will come in and they'll see faces and eyes and which I never see unless somebody points it out and I'm like oh yeah there it is but you know I never see that even though I actually started let's say I started my art um doing figures and, and faces but I, I never see that now I, I always mm -hmm. see something nature related something that I've heard other abstract artists talk about is that the uh, the abstract art often is representational of emotions or of feelings? Does that play into your creative process at all? It doesn't really. Um, I don't really. I'm not. Re at least I don't think. At least not consciously. I'm not consciously painting my emotions. I'm. I'm mostly thinking about color and and shape and and. Um, pretty much my initial thought is how can I put these colors that I want to use into a pleasing composition? Hmm. And, and then it's kind of after the fact, when I see what happens on my painting, because I'm, I'm painting in layers and layers and layers of wet paint, that once they're wet, they're on the move. And I can kind of sort of control where they go, but not all together, because there's just so many layers interacting with each other. So some colors will sink and others will rise and they interact with each other and, and make interesting patterns. And so I kind of let the painting do what it wants to do to begin with. And then I will see what comes to me, um, what it may look like or what, what kind of feeling it evokes, but, but after the fact. And I will, after all my different layers are dry and like the initial, what I call the first draft is, is done, then I will kind of take over control and, and use a brush to maybe bring out details or um, develop certain areas more or tone them down into something that I think it might be developing into. But a lot of it is just going with the flow and um, letting it, it speak to me rather than me control it, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you ever use techniques to move the wet paint, be it a, a blowing on it with a tube or using uh, brushes or sticks to draw and move the liquid paint? Oh yeah, you name it. Uh, mostly I will use a palette knife 
but um, I'll use any of the tools that I have. Um, like I, I use um, uh, skewers, skewers or, or paint sticks a lot, um, fingers, hands, and I will sometimes blow the paint with a, a tube or with a blow dryer. So I on so like on one piece, I'll do a whole lot of different techniques just depending on how I see things are developing. Okay. Oh, so that's it's got to be a very interesting sort of interactive element of the process in the sense that like you say, the paint is sort of doing its own thing, but at the same time, you're coaxing it in a way that you're envisioning. Uh, that's exactly right. I, I, I really don't have complete control over it, kind of. Like the worst I could do is a kind of sorter. And so, I, so on the fly, I do have to make uh, pretty quick decisions because I'm trying to get as, at least as much of it done while the paint is, while all the layers are still wet um, before it begins to kind of set up and get gooey. So, you know, if something isn't going the way I want I wanted to go, I have to think quickly, well, should I, what do I do here? Do I, sometimes I can actually scoop the paint right off the canvas and, and do a little section again, or shall I just add some more paint and see what happens? Mostly it's a, a case of, let's add some more paint and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I, I think that's um, a bit of the, the scientific analytical part of my brain. I cannot resist answering the question well what would happen if i did this mm, you know like the, what, uh, the little one little voice on my shoulder would just say just leave it alone but the other voice would say but, but we won't know if we don't try <laughs> so let's go for it <laughs> oh i love it i love it i, I too have a, a biology background and a, a love for things ocean so I, I i share that piece of of you oh wonderful the uh, the next question in our discussion is uh, what advice would you give to uh, an artist just starting out? Well, I, um, I do have a, a couple tips. First, I would say um, take workshops from artists that you admire, preferably in person, because while online courses, of course, are a wonderful resource, um, you can't beat that. Um, live interaction with an instructor who can you know come over to your where you're working and and you know give you tips and and show you things and discuss that way and that's mostly how i learned by by taking workshops i you know i didn't go to formal art school or anything like that so that would be uh, my first tip second after you've absorbed some learning and things do it do it do it do it do it just you know get some start off with inexpensive materials. So if you mess up, it's not a big deal. And you know, there's not this pressure, like I can't ruin this canvas. Ask, don't be afraid to ask that question. What would happen if I do this? And just do it. And well, of course, it's fine to ask for help and guidance. It's, I still advocate just trying things for yourself. And if something messes up, it's not a huge deal. In fact, mess ups are a great teaching moment. I'll just give you a quick little story of, of, of a mess up that I had. This was um, right after 9-11 and a group of local artists were invited to um, have an exhibition with work pertaining to that event in some way. And I was doing, I was still painting on silk then and I did it, was doing a piece called um, River of Peace. I had lots of um, symbols of peace and togetherness and very kumbaya, but I'm I tend to go kumbaya rather than the other, <laughs> rather than the other direction. So, so that so that so the painting was to have a teal turquoise border around the painting itself, which was going to represent the river. 
And I can't remember how I messed it up, but I think I, I messed up the, 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 that border pretty badly, but I already had the rest of the painting finished, didn't have time to redo anything. So I'm trying and trying to fix this thing. Now with dyes, when you put wet, new wet dye over old dry dye, it forms a hard line, which I think I must have not wanted because I kept painting over and over and over this thing. I just couldn't get it right. Finally, I got frustrated, went to bed. When I got up this, the next morning, I had the most gorgeous, deep, rich teal color around that border uh, that I could never, would, I would never have gotten if I had gone through with my original plan. All the dark lines that I was trying to get rid of while I was trying to fix it, they had gotten all nice and smushy and fuzzy and it looked like ripples in the water. And I mean, it was just, it was beautiful and it was all because of, of a mistake. So um, make mistakes. I call them opportunities for creativity. Mm -hmm. <laughs> try and morph them into something else. Happy accidents. Um, yeah, happy. I try, you know, I, I, I have accidents all the time. Um, I try to make them happy. But um, another, another tip I have is if you haven't gone to art school and you're just teaching yourself, learn or at least get familiar with, um, I think they're called the um, principles of design just basic principles of design, like rule of thirds, getting your um, a focal point or a focal area in that intersection of the one third lines that you, you know, imagine across your canvas or paper or whatever. Um, things like um, repetition of shapes, um, varying the sizes of your shapes. And, you know, you know there's, there's a whole lot of, of quote unquote rules and, and, and um, print design principles but of course you can break, right? That's what rules are for, that you can break them. But I think it's good to know what they are. So you know what you're breaking. So you're kind of breaking this rule intentionally with, with an intent and not just, you're not doing something random. So I always have that. So even though my paints are doing their own thing on the canvas and so on, I'm always thinking about, okay, how is this composition coming? Am I having contrasting colors? Are I having enough of these shapes? Am I, you know, repeating things? I would definitely uh, do that. And if you are planning to sell your work, please do some kind of business or marketing course from the get-go. Don't wing it like I've been doing. I think just try and get that from, from the beginning. My last tip is create what you love. You will never please everybody. Create what makes you feel good. Well, I think those are some very sound bits of advice there. The last, I think, is one that it's very easy to get off track back to your point on the business side of things if you start chasing the business and you think oh i know what people want to buy i'm going to make that you then begin to lose some of your passion it's not work you love and it then shows up in the work and you're not able to sell it because people can tell what is made with with love and passion and and what is not yeah i, I think i it's kind of a weird thing to think of, but I think you're right. You know, I, I have people come into my booth and 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 they and they say, I say, well, I can see you having fun doing this. And I'm thinking, well, how do they see that? You know, um, I, I'm just doing what I do, right? Um, but but somehow that comes through. And back to your point of of doing things that you think people are gonna buy. When I was doing my um hand-painted clothes, and I, I know I would paint different motifs on, on, on the clothing, and I just show inevitably people would come in and they'd want exactly what I didn't have. Do you have something with golf? No, you got something with sewing? No, so I think, oh, people want golf, interested in sewing stuff. 
So I go back and for the next show, you know, I do a bunch of stuff with golf things and maybe sewing things. I don't sell one, you know? So it, it inevitably just kind of worked that way. And so I just figured out, you know what? I like painting flowers and trees and, and leaves and things like that. That's just what I'm going to paint. And I get the same thing with my photography. People will say, oh, do you have a, you know, particularly there, I often get asked for mountains. And I'm like, look at my work. It's mostly coastal. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, there's the occasional mountain where I get inspired when I'm traveling someplace else, but that's not what I've got. Yeah. Well, we wrap up every conversation with some recommendations. So what artist or artists, if you can't nail it down to just one or two, would you suggest our listeners go check out? It can be somebody you just discovered, somebody you've long known, um, dead, alive, but somebody's art we should go check out. Well, that's that's a really hard question, just because there's so much beautiful art out there. And I, um, for me, not not having done really art history and really studied like the the masters and things like that, I just like to check out what I like. I, um, like I said before, I will scroll, I, you know, Google something. I would just scroll through um, uh, things on the internet and stop at some at some artists that I like and investigate them further. People like them soak in whatever inspiration I can from them and then go and do my own thing. But as far as names, um, when I was first getting into this um, abstract stuff, I, I really liked looking at um, Georgia O'Keeffe. Mm. I loved her flowing lines, um, even, even in her um, sort of semi-abstract pieces, like her flowers. I mean, you could tell it was a flower, but she had all these flowing lines. I mean, as, as you can tell, I love flowy things, <laughs> things that move. Mm -hmm. So I loved her work. And um, also Helen, I, I'm sure I mispronounced her, her last name, but Frankenthaler, Frankenthaler. She was kind of one of the pioneers of fluid painting in that she would have ginormous canvases, pour uh, blobs of paint onto them and she would use a sponge to move her, her paints around. Um, so, so her work is, is pretty fascinating to look at if you're interested in, interested in, in abstract work as well. And I also like Franz Klein, um, Clifford Still. Um, if, you, if, you are, if you are like me really um, into the fluid art, some of the couple of, couple of the contemporary names that I remember <laughs> when, I was, um, when I was first getting into this, and I binge watched um, on YouTube, you know, videos and videos and videos. And I really wasn't looking at people's names. I was just looking at what they were doing. Mm -hmm. So, but the two names that I, I kept coming back to, her name was Melly D. I don't know what her real name is, but her, her screen name was Melly D. And also um, Rinsky Duna. I think she's from, um, from the Netherlands. And she also does some beautiful work with, um, with the fluid acrylics. And of course, once you put once you put one little of that search term into YouTube, you know, a gajillion will come up. So um, it's easy to find something that you that will that will say, ah, I want to do that. You know, and that, that's how it was with me when I found the when, when I discovered the food and I was like, oh, my God, this is it. So when you get that spark, you know, that's that's your jumping off point for investigating. And I'll say again, do it, do it, do it. I must have binge watched YouTube videos, must be for about two years before I even got up the gumption to go buy the fluid paints and, and do it. And I found that 
no matter how much I tried to follow what they were doing on the, on, on the video or, or um, use their recipes or measurements or whatever, it never came out like what they, theirs did. I figured out, I just have to do my own thing. You know, I, I learned bits and pieces from here and there and then um, put it together myself. Well, great. Those are some wonderful recommendations. And as always, uh, I'll do my best to get the uh, links to those artists in the show notes so folks can go check them out easy enough. Okay. And if you want to check out Deborah's work, you can find her online at DebraYunglow.com and in person at the Cary Gallery of Artists, where I'm fortunate to be an artist with her at that Yay. gallery. Are there other locations folks can go find your work? Um, but right now, Cary Gallery is the only um, brick and mortar place that I have my work in. I'm uh, now that um, things are getting kind of back to normal with the awesome art shows. I'm doing a whole lot more of them. Um, if they go onto my website, there's a tab called Where's My Art? And it gives my show schedule and where I'm going to be and where you can find my stuff. And you can also just give me a call or contact me through my website. You know, most of my work is here at home. Um, if you're in my area, you're welcome to come see my studio. So I'm easy. Excellent. Well, thank you again for joining me on the Artist Spotlight. Uh, and uh, look forward to uh, continuing our conversations. Thanks again. Thank you, Chip. This has been fun. And this has been another episode of the Artist Spotlight. Tune in next time for a conversation with another contemporary artist. Thank you for joining us. This has been the Artist Spotlight with Chip Freund. Find accompanying blog posts at chipfreundphoto.com slash blog. And you may subscribe to our show on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like listening.